This morning we are going to be continuing our series in Jude. Um, Jeremy walked us through the first few verses up to verse 7 last week, and so this week we're going to be continuing on verses 18 all the way through 13. But to kind of get a sense of what's going on, um, because Jude isn't very long, I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 13, so kind of see where we've been as we talk about unmasking false teachers. And so um, Jude has written this letter about false teachers, and now he's going to kind of get into what do these people look like, and how can we kind of remove that mask and see who they really are underneath that disguise. So he starts in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. When the the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." So to kind of get some context of what Jude is talking about as we get into who these false teachers are, um, it's important to remember he, he didn't want to write the letter about this. Um, at first, his real intention was to talk about the gospel and wanted to really dive into that and, ex- and celebrate that with um, this church, but he finds that this is a more pressing issue, so he first really needs to address these false teachers that are among them. And he says they were long ago designated for this condemnation. The words that he's going to say here are their condemnation. He's really pointing out their sin and condemning them. And he's almost saying they've had this coming for a while. Um, you know, they might have lived for a long time thinking that they were safe and they were blending in and no one was going to address what was going on, but their time has now come. And they are ungodly and pervert the grace of God to sensuality. So he's really saying um, what Paul was addressing in Romans, that they're saying, well, now that we're saved, we can just sin all we want. 
Um, we can sin freely so that grace may abound. And Paul goes into that much deeper um, and really condemns people for doing that. And so I'd like to just read a little bit from Romans 5 and 6 um, that are probably the same kind of things that Jude was thinking as he begins to address these people. So Paul says in Romans, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So we see these people are ignoring um, these warnings that Paul and many others were saying at the time, and they were engaging in sin and using their salvation as a liberty to do so. And so that's the first thing that Jude calls them out on. He then says that they're denying Jesus, and so they're really making little of Christ's sacrifice by doing this. And then he lays out three examples that we looked at last week. Um, Egypt is judged after the people of Israel um, are freed from slavery. We looked at the fallen angels who are disobeying God's authority and also Sodom and Gomorrah who are punished for sexual sin as well. And so these lay out more examples of how these false teachers deserve judgment just like these groups of people. And he's identifying them with those people. And um, it really gives us hope um, in a very Old Testament sort of way. The Psalms often talk about um, asking God to please judge the wicked because it feels like they are winning all of the time. And so Jude is really giving us hope. Their condemnation is, is here. He's about to you know, point out what they're doing wrong. And so we can have hope that God just doesn't let sin to keep going on and on and wickedness and depravity to keep going on and on. There does come a day when he judges that. And so as believers, we can hope in that. We also see that um, there's a contrast between these false teachers and what we are supposed to live like. We don't want to be like these people. And so this morning, we're going to kind of look at these two groups of people 
and see that um, this is what the false teachers are like, and so this, inversely, is what we should be like. So false teachers will be seen by their haughty attitudes toward God and his true people, and the beloved of God will be seen by their humility and faithfulness. This is our big idea that we're going to look at these two groups of people. So first, let's look in verses 8 and 9 and see uh, the first way that these people presume themselves. Jude says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So the first thing that he points out that is kind of the root of why these people are sinning so much, and um, they aren't real believers, they are false teachers, is that they're relying on their own dreams, their own sorts of ideas or revelations. This was a time when lots of revelation was happening. And so these people were saying, we have the truth, we have the, the real revelation from God, and they were ignoring the actual truth and the actual revelation from God, and they were blaspheming all of those people who were saying those things. So they were saying, our interpretation is better than God's and then the truth. Then we also read that they were defiling their flesh, um, which, because they're saying, now that we're saved, we can just sin all we want. And most of that sin was a sexual kind of sin and promiscuity. Then they're rejecting authority. And we can see that they're doing this um, all because they're saying, we've got this new interpretation that allows us to do all of these things so they can defile the flesh and get away with it, they think, and they can reject the authorities that God has placed in front of them. This could have been a rejection of uh, civil authority or even um, the church's authority as well. And then they're blaspheming the glorious ones. There's kind of debate whether that refers to angels or whether that refers to um, the true church, the beloved. Um, But either way, people that they should be listening to and they should be respecting, they're in fact uh, blaspheming. And all of these examples, the, the same attitude is observed. Their ideas are better than the true ones, better than God's. And they think too highly of themselves, that they have the better information, the right information, that they can get away with sin, that they don't need authority, and that they can speak poorly of others. And so they're really presuming themselves as above Um, as they defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme. They think that they're better than everyone else. And the example that's given is um, between the archangel Michael and Satan, which is one that we're probably not very familiar with um, because this comes from the book of Enoch. Uh, So as we talked a little bit about last week, Jude quotes a lot of pseudepigraphal um, books. So pseudepigraphal means that it's Hebrew writing that is outside of the Old Testament canon. Um, But these are ancient books. They're written at the same time as the Bible, but they aren't the Bible. Um, But it's something that the people of Israel and the Hebrews in Jude's day would have been very familiar with. Um, These would have been very familiar stories. And so they might be true, they might not be true, uh, but they're not inspired, so we really can't say for sure. Um, But in the book of Enoch, which is one of these writings, there's this account that after Moses has died, we know that he went away alone to be with God as he died, that there's this battle that ensues over his body and Satan is trying to take it and the archangel Michael is trying to take it and uh, Michael doesn't blaspheme Satan. 
which is interesting because if there's anyone who deserved it, it was probably Satan. And if there was anyone who probably could, it was Michael the archangel. And yet he says, the Lord rebuke you. So even this very powerful angel against Satan himself doesn't even say um, poor things about Satan or even condemn Satan himself. He says, the Lord rebuke you. So this is the example that we should be following and not the one that the false teachers are following. So we kind of see in contrast to this, if these people, the false teachers, present themselves above, um, we as beloved should acknowledge ourselves as below. We uh, live in grace. We understand that it is by grace that we're saved and we are dead to sin and alive to God. And so we need to say no to sin and live in righteousness. We do submit to our authorities. And so that is why when we preach, um, we tend to read commentaries and see what have other people who have gone before us, what have they said. Um, we try to learn what does the Bible say. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. Um, we ask God's spirit to guide us and lead us into truth. We submit to all of these authorities. We don't try to come up with our own authority. And we allow God to judge. We don't speak condemnation on other people. Um, we let God do that. And we, we show them sin. We, you know, point out uh, this is, you know, what seems to be uh, sin in your life. You know, we are told to do that. But we are not the ones who are the judges of people. And it's interesting, even in John 3, um, which is a very familiar passage to all of us, Jesus says this himself, starting in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So even here we see a contrast between those who love the darkness and are trying to hide their sin in the darkness and those who love the light and invite that exposure of their sin. And so as we allow God to rebuke people, allow God to judge people as Michael did, we simply show them the light. And that is enough to cause conviction because the light will expose the darkness. So firstly, we see that these people are presuming themselves above. They're also presuming themselves in front. They're setting themselves up as the leaders. They're saying everyone should be like us. Everyone should follow us and do what we're telling them to do. Because we have this new and exciting revelation that allows us to get away with all of these things. And so we read in verse 10 and 11... But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. It seems like Jude likes to give us examples of three. Um, he gave us three examples in the passage last week, and now we see another three things this week. And so um, he refers to three people really briefly, um, but there's a lot that's going on here. And this is how they are acting as they are trying to lead other people into sin. So first of all, they blaspheme the truth. 
because they don't understand the truth, because they love the darkness. They can't be reasoned with. These are not people who think very well, so um, reasoning with them isn't really going to work, and they're really acting impulsively like animals. They're just acting on instinct. And so um, already Judah's kind of giving us a little glimpse into what these people look like. They're really skittish, right? And they are hiding from the light, and they're just acting really impulsively, and they're refusing to be reasoned with, and they won't listen to the truth. In fact, they speak against the truth. So these three people that are examples, um, the first one is Cain. We're really familiar with the story of Cain. Um, And it's interesting, as he talks about Cain, we think about murder, right? We think that Cain is the first murderer, and he's kind of become this archetype of that. But later we read that Cain actually leads whole cities into rebellion against God and into sin. Cain's descendants are washed away in the flood. And um, he's really in in kind of the Hebrew mind set up not only as the archetype for murder, but as for leading people away from God and away from the truth and inviting people to rebel. And next we read about Balaam, the example of Balaam, which is the passage Lorna read for us a little bit ago. Um, So Balaam, right, was this prophet who was um, not a, a Hebrew, and he's sent by one of the kings to go speak an oracle against the Israelites. And as he's going, he's interrupted with the, the donkey, and we, that's a really interesting story. And by the time he gets there, he tries to speak three times against the people of Israel, and God won't let him, and he actually blesses the people of Israel three times. And so often that's kind of the only bit of Balaam's story we read, and we think in the end, you know, he's done some good things. But his heart really hasn't changed just because God spoke through him. Um, And so when Moses is commanded by God to kill all of the Midianites, and he sends out those thousands and thousands of armies to do so because they're taking the land, and the Midianites are a people who are against God, um, Balaam comes in, and just like the snake in the garden, did God really say, and says, why don't you do this instead? It's real sneaky. Why don't instead you just kill the men and um, leave everyone else alive? That'll be fine. Well, what God is trying to prevent them from doing is what they end up doing often is marrying these uh, foreign people who are idol worshipers. And it makes Israel fall away from God again and again and again. So God's trying to save them, prevent them from that. And Balaam sneaks in and stops them from doing what they were supposed to do. He leads thousands and thousands of people into rebellion and sin against God. And then they kill Balaam in the end. He does get his just desserts. Um, And then the last example is of Korah, which Pastor talked about a few weeks ago, where the people of Israel had approached the promised land, and then they got really scared, and they didn't want to go in. They didn't think they could do it. And, uh, of course, um, uh, Joshua and Caleb are telling them, no, we can do this. We'll be fine. Um, But they they are told, you know, no, we're not going to go in to the land. And God punishes them by sending them back into the wilderness for another 40 years. And what Moses does is accepts that punishment and, all right, let's pack up and go. But Korah leads a group of people in rebellion to say, no, no, we can do this. We can go and we can fight. Um, you know, we messed up, but we'll make it up. We'll go in. We'll conquer the people. It'll all be fine. And they all end up getting swallowed up by the earth because they wouldn't accept their punishment and they wouldn't go back out and understand that God is really in control and no matter what they do, it's not going to work. And so we see these, these are people, these false teachers, who not only want to sin themselves, 
but one to invite all of us to sin as well and get us on the, the bandwagon. So what should we be like instead? Um, there's, these people are presuming themselves above everyone else, so we should really uh, are in front and above, and we should presume ourselves as behind. We are followers of Christ. We are not the ones with um, the special revelation. God has given us his word for that. Um, we are not the ones who are coming up with these grand schemes and ideas. We are following Christ faithfully, inviting others to follow us as we follow him, just as Paul does. And so um, we should be like Abel and not like Cain. We should be faithful in what we bring to God, and we should respect his authority and what he tells us. It's interesting, in Genesis 4-7, God actually speaks directly to Cain and warns him. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And we are all um, like Cain and like Abel. Sin is crouching at the door, and we have to rule over it. We have to say no to sin. We want to be like Moses uh, in both of these examples. Moses sent his armies in and did exactly what God told him to do. And Moses packed up camp and was going to leave at the edge of the promised land. He was going to accept what God had given to them. And so we want to be followers of God. We want to submit to his authority, and we don't want to be making up our own authority. So these people, they, they presume themselves as above everyone else, in front of everyone else. They also presume themselves as among us. They, they, I really think that these people are, are deceived and think that they are truly one of the beloved, and they're just blending in with everything else. All the while, having these maniacal and um, rebellious attitudes and leading people away from the truth. And so we read this in verses 12 and 13. These, talking about these people, are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted, Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So now we really begin to see who these people are. And these words are not only um, descriptions of who these people are, but this is their condemnation. These are not just things that are true about them, but these are really their punishments as we read these things. So we get five examples. First of all, they're shepherds feeding themselves, which is really a gross picture of shepherds because that's not a shepherd's job. The job of a shepherd is to feed the sheep, not himself. And so these, are, these people are leading others and just re- raking in all of the benefits for themselves and not feeding and giving to the people that they're supposed to be leading. They're waterless clouds, so they make empty promises, right? A cloud comes, and you think, oh, it's going to rain. I I had this sometimes. You see this really dark cloud, and you're like, oh, thank goodness, the heat might go away because it's going to rain. And then it never rains, and it just passes over. And so it's an empty promise. Um, So they might make, uh, make it sound like they're going to give all of these things and do all of these things, but at the end of the day, they never really follow through with their promises. They're fruitless trees, 
Um, this example really reminds me of Psalm 1. We're supposed to be trees planted by streams of living water. And so we're supposed to be in God's word. We're supposed to be filled with God's spirit. And then an outgrowth of that is our fruit in our lives, the fruit of the spirit. But these people are, are fruitless trees. They're not, they're not living in the word. They're not living in the spirit. They're not filled with life, so they're dead. And they're twice judged because now, because they're not helpful trees, they're not producing anything, they're cut off. They're not among us. And so it's, it's double um, uh, punishment. They're also wild waves. So these people are really uh, flighty. They're, they're just here and they're gone. They've, there's no consistently, it's consistency. They're not stable people. And what are they spewing out? Well, they're spewing out their ideas and their revelations that apparently they've gotten from God. But it's garbage. It's not real substantive things. Because if you've ever seen the foam on, uh, on a wave, it's there for a second and then it just dissolves away again. There's nothing that you can really grab onto and take hold of. And lastly, they're wandering stars. Um, stars were given to us for a purpose. In Genesis 1, verses 14 and 15, when God creates the stars, he tells us why. He says, it says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Stars are supposed to be useful. They're supposed to um, stay in fixed positions so that ships can navigate by them. I mean, that's before GPS. Obviously, the people that Jude's writing to, they had to use stars for these things. But a wandering star is no good. It doesn't show you where anything is. And really, what is it doing? It's drawing attention to itself. As it's moving around, you kind of notice it. And so it's drawing all this attention to itself, but it's really not any helpful. It's not showing you anything that you need to know. It doesn't give you any good information, and you can't uh, fix anything by it. It's not a stable, solid thing you can rely on. And so these are the five things that these people are. So as we unmask them, this is what we can look for as we see false teachers, but it's also their judgment um, because as we read in the last verse, they will be cast into the gloomy darkness that has been reserved for them. So what should we be or what should we look for in ourselves as confirmation that we are not false teachers? Um, we should be apart from these people. So they're presuming themselves as in and among us, we're one of you. We do really want to be careful to make a distinction um, whether that is about an individual, if that's appropriate, or even uh, corporations or groups of people that do claim to be Christian but are in fact false teachers, we really want to make a distinction that says, no, no, those people, these people, as Jude keeps saying, they're not of us. That, that is not who represents us. They're, they are not true believers. Um, that's important to, to do. So what should we be? Well, we should care for others' needs. We don't want to be shepherds feeding ourselves. We should be caring for the sheep. Um, so true believers are really focused on others. How can they help others? Um, they follow through with their blessings. They make promises. They follow through. They pour out blessings on others. They show growth and life. So people who are living in the word, living in the spirit, and outgrowth of that is fruit and blessing. Um, these are people who speak helpful truth. They're not just spewing their own sort of ideas that fade away quickly. This is substantive stuff that they're saying. 
and they are preserved. We are not wandering stars. The beloved are preserved in God, and we are stable people who um, are here to help guide each other. So we think again about our big idea. False teachers will be seen by their haughty attitudes, the idea that they are above and in front and among us, by their haughty attitudes toward God and his true people. And the beloved, what we should be, the beloved of God will be seen by their humility and their faithfulness. And so uh, this morning as we close, I'd just like to uh, encourage you to examine your own heart and, you know, are there any ways that you have sin crouching at the door, a tendency to be like these false teachers? And if that is the case, repent and ask that God would remove that from you and that he would use the believers around you to bring you into the truth. And as we um, examine our lives and we see if we are more like the beloved and that these things are true of us and we want them to be true of us, I hope, um, thank God for his grace because it is only by grace that we aren't false teachers. It's only by God's grace that we are the beloved. And so we need to thank God for that, for those provisions he's given to us and ask that he would continue to preserve us and that he would continue to pour out his blessings on us and make us those people. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer and then Jeremy will come up and have some announcements and we're going to sing uh, the Jew doxology at the end. So let's pray.